in your copy of the Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Luke, chapter 16. Over the last couple of Sundays that we were together in the Gospel of Luke, we spent our time on three very familiar parables from the ministry of Jesus. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And the central point of all three of those parables is very clear and really unmistakable. And that is that we should, as God's representatives in the world, be willing to take the gospel far and wide to all kinds of sinners. Because when a sinner repents, when God finds a lost sheep and brings that sinner home, there is joy. There is great rejoicing with God, with the angels in heaven, when one lost soul is found. That central point is very clear from those three parables. Those are some of the clearest parables that Jesus told. Our parable this morning that we're going to be focusing on in Luke chapter 16 is at the other end of the spectrum in terms of clarity and understanding what Jesus was trying to communicate in this story. Many teachers, scholars, commentators have made the remark that this parable, the parable of the shrewd steward or the shrewd manager is perhaps one of the most difficult of Jesus' parables to interpret. And it it makes us long for what he did with his disciples in the parable of the four types of ground. If you remember that parable, the four types of ground where the sower sows seed and it falls on different kinds of ground. In that passage, Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. We would love to have that here with this parable. But we don't. And so we have to do the best that we can in understanding the story itself, but also really the main point that Jesus is wanting us to understand from the parable. Because most parables, that's how they function. They don't function necessarily as allegories where there's a point of correspondence at every level. Most parables function in order, in a way, so as to teach us maybe one, sometimes two central truths, central ideas. And so we need to try to discern through studying the passage and through the Spirit's help to try to discern what it is that our Lord Jesus is trying to teach us from this parable. And so I invite you to follow along as we read and try to understand what Jesus, our Savior, is teaching us today. Luke records for us that Jesus told his disciples this parable There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. 
So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we do come before you today and we desire to understand your holy word. We thank you that we have this story, this parable of our Lord Jesus, that it has been preserved for us, that it has been written down and kept through the ages. Father, may we have insight today to understand this story, to understand the point that our Savior was teaching us. And Lord, may we move beyond understanding into application and putting into practice that which we read and understand. Father, may your spirit teach us and illumine our understanding today. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. One of the challenges for this parable is that Luke is the only one who records it. So some of the parables of Jesus, we have parallels in either Matthew or, Luke or Mark, and we can maybe get a little bit more insight into what Jesus is teaching in the parable from those other gospels. We don't have that here. Luke is the only one who records this parable. But I think we're helped somewhat by the context because all of chapter 16 seems to have as a central theme wealth and money and the proper use of that wealth as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because this, the chapter begins with this parable, which has the theme of money in it. And the chapter ends with the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who loved money, but ended up in hell. Lazarus, who was poor, but ended up in paradise. And so this whole chapter seems to be about uh, faithfulness in the resources that God has given us. 
But what is Jesus trying to teach us in this particular parable? On the surface of it, the story is very understandable, isn't it? I mean, we have basically an administrator for a very wealthy owner of land. So putting ourselves into kind of an agricultural mindset for a moment, we have a landowner who has uh, extensive properties and he grows different kinds of crops with those properties. And he's involved in selling and trading in those commodities, whether it be grain or, uh, you know, barley, wheat, olive oil. So he has all of these different properties. He's a very, very wealthy man. And so because he owns so much and he, he is dealing so much in the trading and selling of these commodities, he has a manager. He has an administrator who oversees all of these things. Well, it comes to light that this administrator has not been doing his job properly. And there's two ways of understanding this, of not doing his job properly. Some of the commentators go with that he was basically just incompetent. And he was making mistakes and not handling the affairs correctly. I tend toward the other view, though, that most of the other commentators take, and that is that he was intentionally mishandling his owner's property. He was intentionally skimming some for himself. He was intentionally cooking the books, if you will, to his own advantage. And so the owner finds out about it. He finds out that his his sales and his property has been mismanaged. And so he calls him in. He calls him on the carpet for it. He says, give me an explanation. Give me an accounting for what you've been doing because you're done. And that's clear from the parable. You're being fired. You're being let go. You are not going to be my manager, my administrator anymore. So tell me what's going on. So he's fired. Verse three, the manager says to himself, I'm in a dilemma now because I'm about to lose my job What am I going to do? This is all I've ever done. All I've ever done is manage other people's affairs. This is what I'm good at. I don't want to go dig ditches for a living. I'm not built for that, to dig ditches day in and day out with physical manual labor. And I'm certainly not going to demean myself to beg. So what am I going to do? So the wheels start turning in his mind. And he comes up with a plan. He comes up with a scheme that will benefit himself, advantage himself for the future. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, when I lose my job here, I'm going to do something so that people will welcome me into their houses. Verse four. So, it seems to be that, that what he wants to do on his way out the door of his current responsibility is to make a bridge to the next place where he can land. So maybe become an administrator for someone else who has houses and lands. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak this. I'm going to manipulate this to my advantage so that I have a place to land when I lose my job. So here's what he does in verse five. He calls in each one of his master's debtors 
And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now, this has been put into our terms of of understanding the, the unit of measurement. But still for us, 900 gallons of olive oil, what, what does that mean? What is that worth? Well, from what I read in, in some of the commentators, it is worth approximately two to three years of wages. So this is a significant amount of money uh, that, is, that is being dealt with here. And so he says, okay, so you owe $200,000, let's say, my master. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down, take your invoice, take your bill, and I want you to quickly make it 450. That's half, right? So he takes what he owes and he slices it in half and he gets the, the guy who owes the money to put it in his own handwriting. So it's not in the handwriting of the administrator. So it will not come back on him. So he says, here, cut it in half. Now you owe 450. So his last act out the door is to reduce the amount that all these debtors have to pay. And Jesus gives two examples here of two debtors, but the implication is that he does this for all the debtors. So that he's, he's basically uh, smoothing the way and making relationships for when he loses his job. Verse 7, then he takes the second, and the second debtor comes in. He says, how much do you owe? And he says, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Again, what does that mean to us? Uh, depends on how this measurement is understood. But again, anywhere between one to two years wages or even upwards of eight to 10 years wages. Again, a significant amount of money. And so he says, take your bill and make it 800. That's 80, that's 20%, right? So one guy, he says, shave it in half. The other guy, he says, take off 20%. You owed a thousand, now you owe 800. Now here's the part where the parable gets difficult to understand. Because verse 8 says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So we have to ask ourselves, here is an administrator who is either incompetent or more than likely dishonest. In fact, he's called dishonest or unjust, unrighteous in verse number 8. And so we have a guy who is dishonest. He's, he's stealing from his master, from his boss. And even now on his way out the door, he's manipulating things so that he'll have a place to land when he's out of a job. And the master, his boss says, well done. Good job. He commends him. He praises him because of his shrewdness. So here's where the the difficulty comes in. What is he praising him for? Well, there there are multiple ways of understanding it. There are essentially three that the commentators take. One way of understanding it, and this is probably the more, I guess, straightforward or surface level understanding, is that basically on his way out the door, he gyps his master 
more by telling all these debtors to write off a portion of their debt. So he's already stealing from his master. Now on the way out the door, he costs his master even more money because he reduces the amount that they owe. So his owner is going to take an even bigger hit on the way out the door. But he's commending him simply on the basis of his shrewdness, of his ability to make the best of the situation and find a place to land when he's done. So that's one way of understanding it. Some of the commentators go in a little bit different direction and suggest that what this administrator did was he he worked it in such a way so as to benefit himself also without robbing from or stealing from his owner, from his boss. Two suggestions for that. One is that what he's asking these debtors to write off is the interest. And so that what he's telling them to pay then is only the principal. Which, if that's what's happening, then this administrator is actually doing his boss a favor because according to Israelite law, you are not supposed to charge interest of a fellow Israelite. So one way of understanding it is in reducing this debt, he's wiping off the interest, which helps the debtors, helps himself because it puts him in good favor with the debtors for the, for the future, and also puts his boss into compliance with the Levitical law that you're not supposed to charge interest of a fellow Israelite. So that's one way of understanding where he's actually benefiting all parties by, by doing this. The third way of understanding it, and this is the one that I actually tend toward because of the direction that Jesus takes this when the parable's done, is that what he's writing off is his own commission. So that the owner still receives what he should have received. So the owner isn't being gypped out of anything. What this man, this administrator is doing is he's essentially taking a short-term hit for long-term gain. So he's writing off his commission, his take on these deals so that he will lower the obligation of these debtors, which puts him in their good graces, provides doors of opportunity for the future. So basically what he's doing is I'm going to write this off now, which is going to cost me money now. It's going to cost me money today, but I'm setting myself up for tomorrow, for the future. And I like taking it that direction even though it doesn't specifically spell that out in the parable of how he lowers the bill for each of these debtors. It doesn't specifically tell us how he lowers the bill. But having a commission like this was not uncommon in the ancient world from other sources from what we understand. So for him to write off his own take on it would not be unusual or would not be out of the bounds of what could be possible. For understanding this story. 
And I like going that direction of him basically giving of his own commission to these debtors by wiping out his commission. He's lowering their bill. And I like that because he's taking, he basically sacrificing now for the future. And that fits very well with what Jesus says in the following verses. Because here's what he does. I believe the parable ends in the middle of verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That's the end of the parable. Now Jesus begins to uh, interpret, if you will, or, or communicate his point from the parable. So here's the lesson. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, let's talk a minute about this word shrewd. Because when we, when we hear that word, we might think of it in a negative connotation. We might think of it in terms of using wisdom, but in a cunning way. Maybe in, in a dishonest way. Maybe cutting corners, crossing lines shrewd. But, I, but the, the root idea of that word does not have a negative connotation to it in, in at least the Greek word that's being used here. Because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus uses the same word and tells his disciples to be as shrewd as serpents. So he actually tells his disciples, I want you to be shrewd same Greek word, as serpents, but harmless or innocent as doves. So be wise, be smart, be shrewd, but be righteous, be innocent. Jesus tells his disciples that in Matthew 10. That seems to be somewhat of the point that he's making here when he says, look at this worldly man in this story that I just told. This worldly man was very shrewd. He's very smart, very wise in his dealings. And he made preparations. He made plans for the future, even if that meant costing him in the present. And he says, sometimes the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with the people of this world and in material things than the children of light are. And I think in that is kind of a push to his disciples that they would be shrewd and wise in matters of dealing with things of the light. Now, who's the audience of this parable? It tells us in verse one that it's his disciples. So this is not a parable that Jesus tells to the whole public with large crowds. This is a parable that Jesus says specifically to his disciples. And he seems to be communicating to them, you need to use wisdom in the way that you walk in this world for preparation for the future. Because here's what he says in verse nine. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is he saying there? Well, there's a parallel here with the administrator in the story. 
because the administrator in the story used money to make friends, right? So he cut the bills in either in half or shaved off 20%. And in so doing, he's making friends of these debtors so that when he's fired, he has a place to land. Jesus is jumping off of that idea from the parable and now telling his disciples, I want you to use worldly wealth in such a way to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, translate that. Interpret that. What is Jesus saying? My best understanding of what Jesus is saying in verse 9 is that the way that we use our resources, our money now in this world can prepare us for eternity. In other words, the way that we use our money, our our worldly resources now can lay up treasure for ourselves in eternity so that when this world's wealth is gone, we still have an eternal dwelling to go to. And I think that that idea is going to be kind of expanded more and, and made more clear as we go on in verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Here again, I think he's making connections back to the parable. Because you have a dishonest manager who wasn't handling things properly. But now Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to be faithful. You need to be faithful even in the little things so that you can be entrusted with much. What's the little thing? Money. Money in this world is the little thing. I don't care how much money it is. I don't care if it's a billion dollars. It's a little thing compared to eternity, isn't it? So Jesus is saying, be faithful now in the little things in the worldly wealth, in what you have that you've been given in this world. Be faithful in that so that you can also then be entrusted with that which is eternal, with many things. Because, verse 11, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So, again, the focus of the parable and on Jesus' teaching after the parable is the way that you use your money. And the point from the parable is, use your money in such a way now to set yourself up for the future, right? Even if that means sacrifice. That's why I like the idea of interpreting it in the way that the man takes a hit on his commission to set himself up for the future, because that's essentially what Jesus is telling his disciples to do, is I want you to take a hit now, on worldly wealth so that you have eternal wealth laid up for you in heaven. Because if you're not trustworthy in handling this stuff on earth, who's going to trust you with heavenly riches, with true riches? Verse 12, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's kind of a reminder, isn't it, that everything that we have is really God's. 
our money, our houses, our cars, our lands, everything that we have has, is really entrusted to us. We are administrators. We're stewards of what God has given to us. And so right now, God is saying, how faithful of a steward are you being with my stuff that I'm letting you use while you're in this world? Because Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. However we understand the interpretive details of the parable of the shrewd manager, the point that Jesus is driving at is clear, isn't it? And that is, Don't use this world's wealth for your own benefit now. Don't put your love into money now. Because if you put your love into money now, that means you're an unfaithful manager and you will not be entrusted with eternal riches. If you put your love into money now, that means you're not loving God. Because you can't serve both God and money. That's why I read from 1 Timothy 6 earlier in the service for our scripture reading. Because in that passage in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Teach people this, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says in that passage in 1 Timothy 6, Don't pursue wealth. Don't run after it. Don't pursue it. But he does say at the end of the passage, but if God has blessed Christians with wealth, this is what they ought to do with it. They ought to be generous. They ought to be faithful in it. They ought to be uh, humble in it, in their dealings with it. Jesus is saying that here too. In essence, this administrator in the parable was being generous, wasn't he? He was being generous because he took a hit out of his own pocket in reducing the bill of the other people. He was being generous to them and in in so doing was setting himself up for the future. Jesus, I think, is telling his disciples essentially the same thing, except he's taking it to the eternal. I want you to be generous now with this world's resources. And take a hit now in this world because then you'll have eternal riches laid up for you in heaven. Really, it's very similar to what Jesus has said at other places in Luke. If you save your life now, what will happen? You'll lose it. But if you lose your life now for my sake and for the gospel, you'll save it. So be shrewd, be wise in dealing with the things of the light and the things of righteousness. Give up things now Be generous with your wealth now and prepare for you an eternal dwelling where you'll be received. The Pharisees, even though this is directed at Jesus' disciples, apparently there are Pharisees who are nearby, maybe in the crowd, and they hear what Jesus is saying and they start mocking him. This is ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard the Pharisees say. Why are they saying that? Well, it's because they love money. 
They love money. And so Jesus said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Well, we could probably preach a whole message from verse 15 and apply it to our culture because there's so much there. How, how easy is it for us to justify ourselves? How easy is it for us to come up with all kinds of reasons and justifications for all the things that we do? How easy is it for us to put on a face, to put on a mask of hypocrisy and to be selfish and greedy on the inside, but to put up a front in front of the eyes of everyone else? And to hoard wealth and, and material things, knowing that we love money, but, but do it in such a holy way that people think that we're righteous. Just like the Pharisees, Jesus called the Pharisees on it one time. Jesus says, you make up all these rules about how you can use your money and your resources. And you're so hypocritical. You take this thing in your house, you know, this expensive piece of furniture or whatever. And you say, quote unquote, it's dedicated to God. And you do that so that you get to keep it in your house. It's a vessel of God's. You can't give it away. You can't give it to your parents who are poor and starving, but it's still sitting in your house and you're still using it, but you're saying it's dedicated to God. He called them on all that hypocrisy and revealed their selfishness, their greed, and that they really love money and how they would justify all these behaviors with all their legalese and their little footnotes and little laws and rules. But he says, God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. That's a great reminder for us today, isn't it? If there's one thing you take away from this message, God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts with regard to our money, with our possessions, how we use the things in this world, how much we love the things of this world. God knows our hearts. And what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What do people value highly in our world? Money, fame, property, cars, houses, beauty, physical beauty, sexuality. All these things that are highly valued in our culture, God can't stand them. I mean, nothing. To him. What matters to God? Laying up treasure in heaven. Being generous with the resources he's entrusted with us, or entrusted to us. Being faithful in the things he's entrusted to us. So what's the message of this parable and Jesus' teaching? It is simply this. A disciple of Jesus will be wise in planning for his eternal future by being a generous and faithful steward of his resources. A disciple of Jesus will be wise, shrewd even, in planning for his eternal future. How? By being generous now. By being faithful now. By being a good steward of the resources that God has given to us. And so may we learn the lesson of the shrewd steward. And may we be sacrificing now for the good of others, for the good of Christ's work, so that we may lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, so that we may be received into eternal dwellings. Let's bow in prayer together.
Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the story that our Savior, the Lord Jesus, told us. Lord, help us to understand its meaning. Help us to put it into practice. Lord, there are so many things in this world that, that compete for our attention, for our love, our loyalty. Money, bank accounts, fame. How many followers we have on Twitter or Facebook. How nice of a car we drive. How fancy our house is. How good of a job or career we have. How beautiful we look. So many things in our culture call us to love them, to, to give ourselves to them. But Father, you're calling us to something more. You're calling us to something higher. You're calling us to something eternal. And so God, guard our hearts from the false messages and the false gods of this world. And may we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.